Hello and welcome to the latest episode of EM Insider. I'm your host, Crystal Higgins. And as per usual, I am joined with Raphael Kassin. Unusually, and breaking away from the tradition of our usual Zoom discussions about all things EM debt, um, I was delighted to be able to welcome Raphael into our City Wire recording studio where we actually got to chat face to face. The discussion happened very shortly after Sri Lanka was declared declared an, uh, a state of emergency after the president had fled to Singapore. The focus of this chat was very much looking at the history and the background of Sri Lanka's crisis. And Raphael was keen to talk through all the lessons that could be learned uh, following uh, the, the financial crisis that has recently occurred in the country. And in the second half of the podcast, we look at where should shrewd EM investors be investing in? And Rafael Kassam was um, happy to give a blow-by-blow account of where he is personally placing his bets. So welcome, Rafael Kassam, to this, the first time we're recording EM Insider face-to-face in the same room. Yes, Crystal, welcome this to is going to be great. How we'll are have you? James Bond landing in our in your studio anytime. <laughs> um, so I suppose looking at the news this week, it feels when it comes to emerging market news, there is one thing that we can't go without talking about, and that is Sri Lanka. Sri Lanka is in what would appear to be on let's face it, an unprecedented amount of political chaos. It's in a state of emergency. The fleeing president has landed in Singapore, from what I can understand. So very broadly, just looking at it as an EM debt expert, that you, that you are, what are your immediate thoughts? What were your feelings when you were looking at it? And I think I know the answer to this already, but did it come as a surprise? Well, I think I have to start uh, going back to the middle of last year when I uh, started running uh, funds at, at my current position. And I, I had been a little bit out of the market for a while, uh, institutionally, uh, but, but obviously, you know, I'm I still following things and writing for you. Uh, and, and well, my first reaction was that a lot of investors were looking at Sri Lanka as a, as a fantastic opportunity. Right, and bond prices were in the low 60s in those days, which are yields above 20%, 23% roughly. Um, and just for context, it w- as regards an EM opportunity, where did that fit in at the time? Uh, it was definitely an outlier. I mean, most most emerging debt uh, that you would consider interesting uh, would be trading somewhere below you know below 10 in yield. Uh, so Sri Lanka was really off left field, and um, and my my obviously my first reaction was why are people so excited about it? Because when you say left field, do you mean from your perspective it was clearly in a bad situation, but yet people were looking at this as a potential opportunity? Yeah, I mean their debt to GDP was their reaction was their reaction in any way justified. And if so, how well, was well, it? Or did it just strike you as completely strange? It struck me as completely irresponsible to be investing in a country in those conditions, right? Their debt to GDP numbers uh, closed 
near you know, above 100% in, in 2021, right? And that is already, that should already have been sounding alarms um, because obviously, you know, the more debt you've got relative to your, to your GDP, the more difficult it is for you to service your, your debt. So uh, I looked at that, but on top of that, I, you know, I like to go deep into countries. So I started to look at, at the economics, the politics, and well, they they were, the government was very generous in coming up with economic uh, support to people, um, which in my my view wasn't warranted. Remember, a lot of the money the Sri Lankans make is from tourism, right? And they depend on on everybody else for fuel and lots of other things. So, well, because of COVID, they they didn't have any tourists. And all of a sudden, the, the government in 2019 started basically giving money out for free. So, so I was thinking that it was all going the wrong way, you know. So, and, and and in a way that stood out in particular in contrast to other EM countries at the time. Yeah, and I if think, so, what particular things well, stood out to you as like real red flags? Well, I think just the fact that that the government was not realizing that it shouldn't be spending that much, uh, and it should be considering its options given it owed money, right? Uh, they had a lot of, let's say, white elephant types projects with the Chinese, um, and they had to repay that. And, and how do you do that when you're not getting any income, right? So when I looked at the yield, 23%, and I, I looked at prices, I thought, well, there are two ways this, could, this can go. I mean, we could come out of COVID very strongly, everybody could go on vacation in Sri Lanka, and these guys could make lots of money, uh, or it could go horribly wrong, right? So I didn't want to get involved. I never got involved. Um, Have you ever invested in Sri Lankan debt? No. No, okay. No. I, I tend to pick countries that where I find, yes, that there may be opportunities. For example, I think Ecuador these days is attractive, right? Uh, even though there were uh, there were problems with 7% uh, of the population recently. Okay. You know, I want to pick your brains about that later, about what your what your picks are. Yeah. Uh, I mean, look, it's it's a really simple job. Uh, essentially, what you need to do is you need to understand whether the economics are right, whether the politics are, are responsible, right? People talk about ESG, right? That's part of it. I've been doing that for 20 years. Um, and then lastly, you know, do the prices reflect reality? And with Sri Lanka, yeah, it just didn't feel right. You know? Is it fair to say that the government was particularly irresponsible or yeah. it, there was, it wasn't just a case of COVID pandemic, bad luck. Th there were some moves that were particularly irresponsible. I, I think it may be the, maybe a better way to describe, even though irresponsible would clearly fit into, into the range, uh, is that maybe they were not as prepared as they should have been um, technically. Mm. Uh, you know, if, if you have a, you can have governments that are put in a position of in a crisis, a difficult position. And they can they can come out of of problems. They can you know pull their sleeves up and and sort it out. Uh, but I think that in the Sri Lankan case, uh, that didn't really happen. You know, or they they just it, yeah whatever they did didn't work. But I think it was probably yeah the former rather than the latter. So looking at Sri Lanka now, I was lo looking at my, um, my some of my frantic notes from this morning. I, this is is this the this is I think one of the the the, the first 
Asian sovereign debt default since 1999, apparently. So, and it d probably doesn't take a genius to figure out that this is going to be potentially, and correct me if I'm wrong, is this going to be quite a messy debt restructuring? And if you were, devil's advocate, if you were now invested in Sri Lanka, what would you be thinking? And what would you want to see happening now? Well, actually, I think we can make a comparison to Lebanon, right? Uh, Lebanon defaulted. Uh, politicians just haven't come around to coming uh, to finding a solution to the problem. They need to restructure the debt, but they've been dragging this on and on. First, it was to elections, and here we are, right? Um, and I think that whoever is investing in Sri Lanka has to be aware that this is not going to be quick. I mean, today we're having this situation that you just mentioned, where the president just fled to to Singapore, and I mean, people are in the government are, lots of people are related, right? Prime Minister. So you can kind of see uh, some, some similarities here, right? Um, that you can draw out. Uh, so I think first they're gonna have to have a solution to the political impasse. So they will definitely have a new gov government in general, right? Uh, it may be, I read somewhere that, that somebody who used to be in the army is thinking about uh, running the country, trying to run the, the country. Okay. It may be that the army has to step in to, to put order in, in the house uh, because you can't just have a bunch of people protesting every day uh, and not have a proper government. Uh, so, you know, by the time you get to have elections and people don't really, it's not good that people vote uh, when they're hungry and they're upset because they may make the wrong decision. So it probably would make sense to have some kind of institutionalized government for a while, some caretaker, and then sort it out. But what that means, uh, you know, going back to your question, is that we, it may take a few months for things to get sorted out, for somebody to get to government and say, okay, we're going to have a financial plan for the country, and then probably to go after the IMF, to get some kind of guarantee, support, program. Uh, and then there will, there will probably have to be a restructuring. Bonds are trading in the 25 to 27 range. Not to put you on the spot, but I'm going to put you on the spot. <laughs> what what do you think this restructuring is going to look like? How, you know, how bad could it be? How messy is, how ugly is this restructuring potentially going to be, do you think? Well, well, I'm going to take a stab here. I think that uh, that there are very few large, larger players involved in it. Uh, this has been the trend in the last few years. Uh, they'll probably sit together with the government and hammer out a deal. I imagine that there's going to be a substantial write-off because these guys just don't have much of an ability to do anything, especially, you know, we're still kind of in COVID, right? I mean, not in the UK, but elsewhere. Um, so I would imagine that it's going to be a large haircut, many years of non. How uh, large? How large and how and what? Well, I I mean, from what a, does a complicated, ugly restructuring look like for someone who uh, does isn't experienced with, say, yeah, when we were looking at restructures, when when I discuss uh, these issues with with friends about Venezuela, right? Mm -hmm. uh, we usually talk about seventy. 75% haircut, same with Lebanon. Uh, I, I would not be surprised that, you know, if we had a haircut between 50 and 75%. Uh, 
I know it sounds huge. That is huge. Uh, Is that unusual? Is that that unusual or has that happened? It is on the unusual side. I mean, the Argentines have been sequential defaulters, right? Right. And restructurers. Um, I don't think that, I'm not sure if they got to that level, but I, I think they should if they haven't because, you know, they've, They've, they haven't been able to you know, manage it right. Um, but I think that um, I think it has to be somewhere at least 50% for anybody to start thinking that it makes any sense. Because when you do a 50% haircut and you allow these guys to start paying you back later rather than sooner, um, then you, you kind of ensure that they're not going to default you know, soon again. And I think that's that should be the emphasis here, right? Sure. It didn't work with the Argentinians. I mean, there's okay, they you know, they they got their deal, but their bonds are trading close to the floor. Not to digress too much, but why do you think it didn't work for the Argentinians? I think it's a more complex issue over there. I think a different podcast. I think it's a <laughs> yeah, it's a political problem that that somehow the Argentines just haven't figured it out. And this is the biggest problem. We, today we are in um we're living in times that are unprecedented in my view and i'm old right sure um short term unprecedented (laughs) not to you being old (laughs) yes no it's okay i'm happy to to say that you know um look i'll tell you why i'm thinking this is very unusual um we're seeing a supply shock that we really hadn't had since 73 i didn't live through that so you know i was alive but uh but i didn't have to pay for gasoline um but but I think that what we're seeing with a lot of countries is that costs for the average Joe uh, have gone up. Uh, and as a result, people go wild. They start demonstrating. They want their, you know, they want their rights. Uh, not sure if they deserve all of the rights that they're asking for, but they want them, you know, because of internet, they... And which rights? <laughs> which rights do they deserve? Well, I mean, they want... I've, I've read something, I mean, even here in the UK, you know, the... the How uh, many rights is too many rights, Well, that, that's a really interesting question. You know, if the, if the railway guy says that, well, two years ago they could buy uh, such and such, and today they can't buy it, does that mean that they should be uh, able to buy it today? I mean, it may be that economic conditions have changed, right? Um, of course, there is a there's a borderline, there's a range, right? Uh, but I think that people have to make sacrifices. Uh, it doesn't mean that they always have to make them and they don't have to be exaggerated. Uh, but if conditions all over the world are complex, I don't see why a, a troop striker should be uh, in a better position than, let's say, somebody who's selling shoes at a shop, right? If you could still... argue, you could argue that what you're seeing now is just a culmination of the ordinary working man just feeling the squeeze for too long, yes, and too hard, yes. But, but that's just me. You are right, and I and I. I mean, we could get into a very complex Do you know discussion. What? Back to Sri Lanka. Back to Sri Lanka. Back to Sri Lanka. I feel that they're their struggle is, you know, their anger seems to be quite justified. Um, yeah, because their government basically squandered the, yes. the country's assets. So that's a, that's a big problem. Sure. And now looking at the wider impact for the EM debt market. So what, country, what should countries be, other EM countries be thinking now? 
that maybe are are there any countries are there any countries that you think are creeping towards being a Sri Lanka in 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 the not so distant future and and what should bondholders be thinking who you know who have, are are you worried about any of your own investments when you look at Sri Lanka now I am worried that we are going through a period in which people are making the wrong decisions and not very smartly um I'm seeing outflows from every asset class. Uh, I can understand that, uh, but but I'm seeing, as you know, kind of following up on where we were, almost digressing. Mm. Um, there is an issue of class war- warfare these days. Um, I think the right and the left, if I can, if I if I can use those terms, haven't really been fair with voters, right? So you've seen Tony Blair for example, uh, going to the right, right? Uh, he's definitely very different from Corbyn. And that you can apply to many other countries. And you, we can talk about that soon. Um, so we've seen that happening. We've seen the right turning to the left in order to gain votes. Uh, and in that process, you've seen these governments, let's say, you know, your right side, right-wing government, uh, probably you were spending more than you should have been spending. And that may have seemed nice, and it got people interested in that. Um, but but I have a general theory, which is that at the end of the day, you have to make your pennies count, right? It, ha- it all has to add up. So if you got a government that squanders, at some point, you have to pay for it somehow. And I think this is the problem, is that all over the world, because of exacerbated by the crisis in, you know, that ensued after the the, the war in Ukraine, um, we've had higher prices, and then all of a sudden, people are left with less than they had before, uh, or they pay more, and or and probably they're, they're with less than before, uh, which means that they get angry, uh, they want more. So you can see what's happened in Colombia. Uh, in Colombia, Petro was elected. Petro used to be an activist. Uh, the Colombia is, is is kind of it's it's, it's a nice country uh, because the institutions are quite stable. Actually, yes. Do you know what? Let's talk about you are talking about it, but uh, for the for the sake of people listening, n- not to completely move away from Sri Lanka, we can we can like bear it in mind when you're giving me this. I hope run through, but. You mentioned Ecuador before that you like, and you've just brought up Colombia. So how about in the context of what we're seeing unfold in Sri Lanka, what are the countries that, you know, what what are your kind of your your favorites, I'll say, or your where, where are you going to put place your bets and why? And why do you like these countries? Okay, well, I think, first of all, they have to be fundamentally sound, right? Which are they first? Do you want to list them? Well, I can give you an idea. I'll put of you on the spot now. It's all right. You Tell know, me your, give me your top I'm EM used, picks. I'm used to people throwing uh, <laughs> knives at me, <laughs> daggers. There's no knives. <laughs> Don't worry, there's no knives. No, look, let's let's try. Let's think about it, right? Okay. I mean, the the universe of emerging countries has has been decreased quite aggressively. And when you say decreased, uh, sorry, I should have explained that better. Um, you know, we've had we used to have a lot of countries that were easy bets. Uh, they were stable. They they look good and and okay. they were attractive from a yield perspective. Right? Okay. And these days, a lot of them have dropped off. I mean, Russia is gone from the market, uh, justifiably. Uh, Ukraine is is a difficult case. I mean, they're talking about potentially restructuring. Um, I mean, ultimately, I think Ukraine could be an interesting uh, country to put your money in. 
Um, but for example, Zambia has been playing around with the default for a while. Has Zambia actually defaulted? Yeah, they have defaulted and they haven't restructured. But they haven't restructured? No. Okay. So I have friends who have bought the bonds PA and they're sitting on it wondering when when is this going to get sorted out? Now, they were talking about a 20% haircut because they export copper, but they also have loans to, uh, with the, uh, to the Chinese. And there's an, a question about whether that will be included in a potential restructuring. So it might be that it's more than 20%. You know, who knows where copper prices will be when, you know, by the time they get to this negotiation. So Zambia becomes a question mark, right? Now we're having Ethiopia with bonds maturing next year. Sorry, in 2024, I think. Okay. Uh, and they, again, you know, every, every coupon that comes, I have a friend who asked me, well, you know, do you think I'm going to get paid my coupon? So, you know, they are talking about participating in the common framework, uh, which would create, you know, would be a complex setup to, to do the restructuring. Do you know actually how I'll put it to you? What do you think, even in this unprecedented sort of like messy emerging market universe that we find ourselves in now, what do you think are going to be the long-term winners yeah. and why? Good point. Let me just finish really quickly with the ones that I am worried about. I don't like El Salvador because I think this concept of having Bitcoin as your national currency. Mm -hmm. A bit. Yeah, well, yeah. Or to have it backed by Bitcoin. I mean, nonsense. I I, I mean, Bitcoin is a complex issue, but I, I'm too old fashioned to, to think that that should, you know, take over. Uh, national currencies. Well, it's a. It seems to me now be a, a justified uh, concern for sure. Yeah, luckily for me, I didn't invest. Uh, I mean, Lebanon. I'm also not enjoying the way things have gone. They they're not looking like they want to do the restructuring. But that leaves a lot of other interesting countries. For example, one country that people were surprised with the new government was Mexico. Right? You can say whatever you want about AMLO. But he's been all right. You know, he's done a few things that are not kosher. But, I mean, he's in general, he's, you know, he's, he's been managing properly. There is an issue about Pemex. I think people don't realize that Pemex is just like Petrobras in Brazil. Uh, it's owned by the government. And who in his sane mind would imagine that the government would let Pemex default? Right. So I think that, you know, the, the spread between Pemex and government and Mexican sovereign bonds at around 500 basis points is is a little bit of a bargain, right? Um, I could be proven wrong. I mean, oil could go down to 40 next week. Uh, not that I'm get you know betting on that, but is oil in a bear market at the minute? No, I don't think so yet, and I I'm not sure if it will happen. I mean, I my view on oil is that because of all of ESG concerns, uh, there's less supply. People are not worried too much on working on it. Venezuela is kind of out of the market. And as a result, I mean, we we are more likely to see higher prices than lower. But when I say that, I mean from a, a an equilibrium point, right? We're not at equilibrium because the Russians have just created a mess all over the world because of oil. So apart from Mexico, what are your um, other, well, what, are you, what are Rafael Carson's top like EM picks? I like okay. Colombia. I don't think that Why? Petro, because I, I think the the institutions in Colombia um, are stable enough uh, so that Petro cannot really make a huge mess out of them. Uh, so he will probably try to implement a somewhat radical uh, plan. 
I like his concept of diversity, you know, of helping the poor. I mean, that that's great. That's, that's very honorable. Uh, but he has to remember that oil represents 40% of Colombia's exports. And he's been very quick to come online and, and tell people that he's not planning, even though he promised that as a campaign promise, um, to, to basically stop oil ex exports, oil exploration, right? Uh, so we have to see how that develops. I think that he will learn that he doesn't have as much power as he thought. He'll be able to do some good things. And some of the other things he'll, he'll probably have to wait for later. Mm -hmm. But but the country is growing uh, economically. It's doing well. So I think Colombia looks okay. Of course, it is a victim of what's been happening in the market these days, right? And so far, I've only talked about Latin America. D Dominican Republic? I'd like Dominican Republic too. We're going to go back to tourism, right? Uh, they're right next to the states. The states are booming. Uh, I think that they, you know, they've, been, they've managed uh, their economy somewhat responsibly. Uh, so I think they look okay too. Uh, South Africa, mm -hmm. I, I think probably will get out of this well if the MPC uh, decides to tackle inflation uh, quickly. Um, I think they've they've probably been a little bit too dovish. Um, what, what else have I not mentioned? I like Egypt, by the way. You've mentioned this before. Yeah. Tell me why you like Egypt again. Well, the, for the same reason that I like Ghana, which a lot of people think are, is going to restructure. Uh, I don't think that they're going to restructure. They could, but I mean, once you decide that you're going to go through an IMF program, why should you bother restructuring? I mean, you can probably sort it out. I think the Ghanaians have come up with the e-levy, which was something that nobody expected they, they'd be able to pass. Um, and I think that they've been honest enough that they've come to the table and agreed that they needed to get something done. I think it was quite late, uh, but they're still on time to get an IMF kind of package. And this is what the Egyptians have done. I think they were extremely professional at the finance team in dealing with that. Mm -hmm. So again, interesting yields, attractive. Country that, you know, maybe, we, we have to realize this, uh, Ecuador. You asked me about Ecuador. Ecuador has an ex-banker president. Uh, he's dealt quite smartly with the recent crisis. I think the recent crisis may have had some contagion from Colombia because Petro's supporters probably thought, ha, you know, we are from the left. We won. Why don't we get some of the folks from the left in Ecuador to create a little uprising and see where it goes? But I think they were a little bit irresponsible. I mean, I, saw, I, I watch, you know, Ecuadorian TV, all kinds of funny TVs. And I think in the end, um, he managed well. I mean, we'll, we'll, we're still watching the results, they have an IMF deal. So again, not a big reason to expect them to be in trouble. In fact, I think that's where we're gonna go in the next few months. Uh, because of this mess, we know- Where are we gonna go? Yeah, the mess with Russia and Ukraine, um, I think will force countries to decide whether they're, they're with the good guys and the, or the bad guys. So why has China in, uh, and why have China and India, in my opinion, uh, gone wrong? They've sided with Putin. The Indians are really happy about buying oil cheaply. Um, and I don't think it's morally correct. They don't have a, really a lot of debt out there, but it will catch up to them. So in this new like world regime that we find ourselves in, 
EM debt investors, I think what you're saying is, should be looking closely to what alliances are being formed and and whether they go with the West or the, whether they go with... The bad guys. Russia. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I think, unfortunately, I mean, I have Russian friends. I think it's a great country. I mean, I, I don't think it's likely that I'm going to be landing in Moscow anytime soon mm-hmm. because of what's happened. I think this is going to have lar- long, long-lasting consequences, whether Putin is out today or tomorrow or next week. Uh I think it will take a while for Russia to be readmitted to the global economic uh, world. Do you want to say, before we move on, if you're okay to move on, um, rounding up on Sri Lanka. So you're not invested in Sri Lanka, but you're, I think from what you're saying is, and correct me if I'm wrong, and I think I've heard you say this before, you're in a hole anyway, wait for the restructuring, and stay put. Is that is that an, is that a fair now? Yes, albeit overly simplistic way to round up the Sri Lanka chat. But is that a fair piece of advice to give to Sri Lankan debt investors? If now? you had bonds, if you had bonds. Well, if I had bonds, I would first think about how long my my pressure cooker can last, right? And if I can wait, I think I'd rather wait because if you're at twenty seven now in price, and you can get a restructuring where let's say that they do a 50% haircut or if you're lucky, even less, then you, you'll be made more whole, right? So I think if you're in it, if you're in the hole, well, live with it uh, if you can afford it. Uh, because if you sell it now, you're going to sell it for peanuts, right? You're near restructuring, like really, you know, bottom restructuring levels. Um, but I wouldn't buy it now. You know, I think it's it's probably given that, I mean, look at Venezuela. Venezuela took years to get out of things. And the thing that worries me about Sri Lanka, you know, I mentioned that I like the character of who manages the country, right? Recently, I saw a headline that, that almost made me run away from the screen, uh, which was the Sri Lankans discussing, uh, the, mentioning they were thinking about uh discussing their uh, their energy needs with the Russians, right? And when I start seeing that, I start wondering, well, that's the, that's the wrong, this, a step in the wrong direction. Uh, so I think they should instead try to get a, a, a plan together, go to the IMF, and then maybe there will be an, a decent upside. All wise words. Now, Hopefully, as we, yeah. Oh, yeah. Of course, always, always, Rafael. Um, now, as we both know, so the situation in Sri Lanka speaks to a broader, wider economic malaise that is rippling through, I think it's safe to say, all of EM e- countries at the minute. Now, I know that we've talked about this before, but ultimately, when you're looking at how this is all going to play out, it comes down to, and you've said this before, inflation and Fed rates. So maybe... What do you? We have a chat about the wider, the broader. Uh, these these are the two factors, aren't they? That's really going to shape. I think so. Is I that fair th- to say that these are the two things that we have to keep looking at? Yeah, I just came from watching for a few minutes a uh, a, a um, an interview on Bloomberg. I can tell you that on Bloomberg TV, uh, and and it was with a manager who was throwing dirt on people who were. Suggesting that inflation verbally, verbally throwing dirt, well, <laughs> not yeah. physically, verbally for sure. Huh? Okay, <laughs> um, 
on uh, on the fact that inflation last year was transitory, right? Oh yes, yes, of course. But I think that that is obviously he's talking his book. Uh, the reality is that if the Fed had been a little bit more aggressive towards the end of last year and beginning of this year, before the war in Ukraine, inflation would have been controlled. Uh, we have economic growth, but it wasn't going to go that crazy. And because of the war, everything, you know, you could, you, ever, you could throw all your books out because of that. So I think we can get back to that stage. But the problem is that it's a very serious shock. It's a supply shock. It, it you know, energy covers everything. Uh, so until we can tame the energy component in the, in the inflation numbers, uh, which we are beginning to do, if you look at the numbers today on the on um, PPI and on CPI, I mean, they ex food and energy it starts to get interesting, right? Don't know how. In whether we really get into that top of the hump, right? Um, we will need the Fed to be aggressive, but until that happens, we will we will be suffering through that. It will be an interesting crisis, and that that's a type of crisis that it, it doesn't come. It doesn't happen every day, right? Every year, uh, but it's a crisis that affects all asset classes. So it's not like I'm an emerging market bond guy. And I'm upset because the index is down 20% and the guy next to me is making 10%. Uh, actually, the guy next to me who is managing long money is also losing 20% in the S&P. So it doesn't matter which one you're in, which reminds me of contagion, right? What we're having these days is because of inflation, because of this uh, risk-off uh, environment, everything is being sold. Uh, so are we in a contagion environment now? I think we are. We actually are. I think we are. I mean, people are selling everything. There are outflows. Is it 50 billion in outflows in the EM markets? Does that sound right or am I? It, it could sound right, but it If it's wrong, I'll edit it out. <laughs> well, I mean, I think it depends on, on 2022. Which... Yeah, it it's possible. Billion? It sounds about it sounds about right. Uh, it's Hang not on. a huge amount, huh? But and it could be higher. Investors pull 50 billion from emerging market bond funds in 2022. Yeah. I mean, it's it's fairly Yes. Conceivable. Okay. Uh, and what the most severe net outflows for seventeen years? Yeah, but remember, it's not just in EM debt, right? It's happening in other asset classes. Uh, we don't care about those today. Yeah, <laughs> I I look at the S and P a lot, you know. Mm. Um, but I'm, gl I, I'm glad you do. <laughs> yeah, I don't invest in it. I prefer our asset class because it pays coupons. But look, that I think if you look at the last few crises in EN debt, most of them, in fact, most of the last few ones uh, were crises that didn't happen in EM debt countries. They happened in US treasuries, right? right? So the end of 2018, 19, uh, we had a little bit of a crisis. 2013, we had the ta taper tantrum. Uh, okay, then we had COVID, which affected everybody, but we haven't had an EM debt crisis per se for a long time. I believe the countries are more efficient, uh, better prepared. Of course, this crisis is going to hurt them no matter what. I mean, it, you know, you can't, it just means that, you know, there's a, there's a huge solar storm and no matter where you hide, it's going to hit you. It's just a matter of how, you know, how much it hits you. Um, but I think that that's where we are. But so so the outflows, 
they will hurt the managers who are not having good performance and have to somehow sell. And they'll sell whatever's making money for them. Which, But, but it's also, it's very interesting. Uh, you see that the selling is not in the same countries every day. Uh, it, you know, one day is, is one country, the next day is another, which seems to me like... What does that say? Yeah, what is that? What is it's that a signaling? little bit like a domino effect. You know, people are just selling. I mean, the discussions we have every day are discussions along the lines of, it cannot be that the debt of this country is trading at 50, for example, because the country has an IMF program. It has the ability to pay and it will pay. And so why should it be that cheap? And the typical answer is, well, there are more sellers than buyers. And, you know, when you get an answer like that, I mean, there's no argument to beat it. Sure. And, and, and but that, that means that this is a global, a global issue. Uh, emerging bonds are bonds, right? So if interest rates go up, bond prices go down. Now, the interesting thing about emerging debt is if you look at U.S. Treasuries and where people are expecting the Fed to hike to, we're looking at hikes until the end of this year. Actually. Yeah. And I'm really sorry if I'm cutting you off, but this is it's something okay. I want to really ask you is looking towards the end of the year, Imagine a scenario. Can I can I ask you to imagine a scenario where the rates are stabilizing or they're no longer going up, and um, inflation somehow is bettering itself, and we don't have a terrible recession. I'm going to be selling you emerging debt. Where Knock are where door. where where should smart, not smart, but you know, uh, you know, shrewd investors be looking? You know, what country should they be looking at in that? If, if we're envisioning that kind of scenario. Well, that's what we are all waiting for. You know, it's that point. Where are you looking? <laughs> Where are you looking now? Well, you know, it's, uh, I, I think that what I wake up every day hoping for is that dovish shift, you know. and The dovish shift. Yeah, and this is not an expression that I created. And, you know, I'm fairly it's a nice, honest. It's a nice turn of phrase. So what does what is it? What is a dovish dovish shift? It's when the Fed realizes that it has tamed inflation, and it's not going to be hiking anymore. Okay. Or it will maybe do one or two small hikes. When that happens, and that's and I think most people in the market are thinking maybe by year's end, then people are going to be thinking that the next step is for the Fed to cut. And if the Fed induces a recession, then next step is to cut rates, right? Because it will need to recover. You know, first it puts the brakes on and then it tries to accelerate. And so if it if we're able to control the commodity boom, and, and if you look at oil, I mean, oil was, uh, Brent was over 110 the other day. Today it was below 100, like in, you know, low high 90s. So it could be that if that happens, and it's likely that it can happen, but I can't pinpoint. Uh, the market is pinpointing towards year end. Uh, and remember, people like to make allocations usually around November, December for the next year. So it could be that we get to that point and, and you look at where bond prices are in EM debt and you, you see where the Fed has gone. The Fed, let's say, has done that dovish shift. Uh, and then all of a sudden, there's going to be a stampede to go into EM debt. And then it will be whichever country hasn't defaulted because if everybody, if, if all countries are doing well, right, uh, and they're not fighting this inflationary trend, uh, then they, they will be able to repay you. And with levels at the levels we are having today are, are really attractive. 
as long as you've got the interest rate scenario, uh, the interest rate picture um, looking favorable. Okay. Do you know what? You're going to kick me out. I'll never kick you out. Absolutely not. But I think that's a very uh, a great note to, to, to leave things on. We could even talk about China. But I do think... We get, do, we get, do you know what? I think we leave China another time. Okay. Yeah, that's all right. So, Raphael Kassen, thank you so much. It has been a pleasure doing this face-to-face. And until next time. Yeah, it's been a pleasure too, Christo. Thank you. And, and I hope that people enjoy this. <laughs> thank you.